0: You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast, where I speak to bands and musicians and artists about how they've survived over the years, what they've got up to between tours and between making records, or what they were doing before starting the project that we know them for. I'm so excited that on today's episode, the 101st episode of the podcast, I'm speaking to Stu McKenzie from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, who recently released their new record, LW, Explorations into Microtonal Tuning, volume three he he gave me a wonderful chat i'm so excited that this is the 101st episode and and i hope you uh, and i hope you enjoy this chat too i'm also excited that i've got a book coming out it's called 101 part-time jobs conversations with working musicians you can call it a coffee book You can call it a toilet book. And it's got a whole bunch of stories from the first 101 episodes, including anecdotes from Thurston Moore, Tim Burgess of the Charlatans, Marika Hackman, Kevin Morby, Izzy B. Phillips from Black Honey, Brian Devendorf from The National, Matt Sharp from The Rentals and formerly Weezer, Mark Bowen from Idols, and a whole bunch more. 101parttimejobs.com to go and have a look at the front cover and see some screenshots of what's inside cheers to East London Signature Brew who've been brewing beers alongside bands since 2011 they've brewed beers with Mastodon Idols, Slaves, Sports Team Craig Finn from The Hold Steady who's a guest later this week on this podcast so do subscribe if you live in the UK and want to get some beers delivered directly to your door you can go on signaturebrew.co.uk and using the voucher code 101 podcast all capitals you can get 10% off that order. This is episode 101 of 101 Part-Time Jobs with Stu McKenzie of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Go well. My band and a bunch of other bands, your friends' bands were, you know, touring a lot, playing shows to not necessarily many people. And then, you know, between tours, everyone was just getting mad jobs. And it was like, this is, this is silly, but really funny. And then... Uh, Started, you know, thinking, you know, interviewing people from established bands, bands that have been going for quite a long time. And I think that there's there's still a huge amount of level of survival when it comes to being in a band, even when you've been doing it for five, ten years. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think like even within being in an established band where people are digging the records and people are coming to the shows and you have a label label behind you and, and the team, you've still got 101 part-time jobs for yourself to do in the band, right?
1: Right. You know, in in Giz world, we keep the team ultra small, uh, ultra tight, ultra streamlined. Everyone's got uh, multiple jobs. Um, You know, I've been managing Giz for a while. I do, like, the recording and the producing and writing and stuff. And um, to to take touring away for the last 12 months has um, been challenging in so many ways and a blessing in so many other ways because uh i love the the flip side the um the inverse of of gears which is kind of the writing and the recording and stuff yeah so it's it's been heavy on that um and it's felt like work you know um especially when you can't tour and you can't do the cream you know you Mm -hmm. can't do the fun stuff the party stuff Mm you sort of just gotta like put pen to pencil put pencil but pen to yeah. pencil, but pencil yeah. to paper, uh, yeah. even when you're stuck at home.
0: Yeah. Have you been able to, you know, in the past, you know, you've been going for over 10 years. Is, has there been a, uh, you know, can you kind of, are you able to kind of compromise those two things, the fun and the party, but also the, the making records? Because obviously, you know, you clearly love making records, um, you know, and you can see how, you know, they might be oil and water in some respects, touring and making records.
1: You know, I think... That I have two jobs. One is making records and one is being a performing musician. And um, I think from the, from an outsider perspective, they have a lot of overlap, but when you're in it, they feel really different and they feel really Mm. disconnected and they fight each other a lot, especially for your time. Um, like, you know, if I'm touring, I find it hard to write and you know it's they they fight each other but um they when they coexist it's the nicest thing you know when i come home from a tour i usually feel inspired to write um yeah. and when i'm when i'm writing i'm not always but i'm often thinking about how it will work and i get like you know fucking excited about making music that is going to be on a stage one day um yeah. so yeah there's there's definitely an interplay thing there but it's kind of like wearing um flipping hats wearing two hats
0: right right you gotta go to a hat party you gotta yeah, have hat another, another hat yeah another hat exactly party. yeah <laughs> is is that something that you like had to learn to do is that something that you know in in your initial years in the band was that something that you know you had to kind of try hard to figure
1: out um I think it happened slowly and over time and and you know Gizzard wasn't any of our first bands um, mm-hmm. and it's sort of just something that we've been doing really since we've been, since we we're kids, really, we've all been kind of like writing and yeah, playing and re- recording and, and jamming and, and, you know, doing all of the things that you do, like, honestly, since we we're teenagers or, or kids or whatever. So um, yeah, it feels just like what you do. Like, I don't know, this guy's a cook, this person's a footballer, this woman does this particular job i just make music
0: (laughs) in the music industry there's always you know and the rock industry is that there's it seems to me like there there's always going to be someone trying to get involved for their own um personal goals and i suppose that's a big part of these conversations is you know this podcast for me is about you know keeping control and being in control of your own shit um and and knowing what you're doing with it is that has
1: that been an issue for you um i think we've been uh, incredibly guarded um and you know i'm i'm um, loose with some things and a control freak with some things but i'm i'm pretty kind of controlling when it comes to the creative like element and there there yeah. are a handful of people that are let in um mm. and that is sort of the end of story you know what I mean so we've been very careful about the people that we have worked with um in like you know be it uh uh like artist type people or recording type people or uh, you know or the the dark side industry type people or whatever yeah um, yeah there's always like kind of a creative input um on either side in on either flip side of that but um we just have a super small small crew um and we just kind of do what we do and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you just kind of keep rolling.
0: That's, that seems to be, you know, in a lot of interviews I've read with you it, that, you know, you've said a few times in, in so many words that, you know, maybe you don't exactly know what the next step is and, you know, yeah, you, you, you are just keep rolling. Is, is that something that are you quite good at not letting that sort of anxiety get over you?
1: Um, I would be lying if I said that uh it's it's um it's it's easy to just kind of be free uh, of um the anxiety and the pressure of making good well yeah uh,
0: yeah objectively good music, good or subjectively
1: good mu- <laughs> uh, records you know what i mean yeah. um yeah it's 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 a daily it's a daily challenge and uh, you know i i often think about um, I, I often have to tell myself, especially in the in the early stages of a project or a record or whatever, a song of record or whatever, that yeah, it's just gonna be shit for a while. You know, it's it's okay. Like it's just gonna suck for a while. You just gotta push through that boundary. Like when you're writing a song and it's just a chord progression and you're just like, This sucks. Like ever someone's already used this, you know what I mean? And you just right. Gotta, right. it's like that daily daily uh battle of of internal kind of um motivation and just you know again kind of just trying to um put pen to paper as often as possible and and allow it to not be the greatest thing you've ever done every single time um but just to keep busy just to keep the wheels turning just to keep the the cogs moving and the um machine oiled and the songwriting muscle uh, flexed is, is sort of the way I tried to try to look at it. And then, you know, after a little while you can look back and think, oh shit, we made that. That's, that's cool. How, how did that even happen? I don't even know. I think it just took took time.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, does it help that you've made so many records now that when you get in a, you know, a bit of a, a slump on a, on an early, you know, Monday morning, trying to write something that you can look at your, you know, look at your last record and be like, well, we fucking, you know, we did that. And we had you know you had a similar time during that at moments
1: it makes it harder and easier simultaneously because because you know when you make something that you're proud of you'll always judge yourself on that and you're always your harshest critic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helps me to not try and top things or just to try and do something different, which I think has been kind of gizzard's mo since the start um, was to not try and top ourselves at any time just to try and do a different thing and that's valid in itself i mean like it's so, so much of just my thought process is just trying to keep myself motivated it's like i'll always be attracted to the thing that's motivating which is you know usually the most fun um or the most exciting right. or the most new or the most fresh or different or whatever
0: right and i think that's what that's what we as as fans of King Gizzard get from it as well is that it's always exciting it's always something fresh it's always new um you know especially in a world that sometimes you put on a a new record by a band you like and it might sound
1: exactly what you expect you know it's really refreshing yeah that's cool too like i mean you know i got to say that as an australian acdc is like one of my favorite um <laughs> bands some of my favorite records are you know acdc records and i mean you know a lot of people do say they sound they all sound the same they don't but like they are all kind of within the same world like they're all painting the same picture even if they're not right they don't sound the same um I just couldn't do that to myself like the the kind of the 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 stress that that would cause me would just be not worth it you know what I mean I'd rather just not do that um
0: and there was a moment in you know your your career because I guess like you know does it feel weird to say career is that normal to you
1: I feel okay about it now. I think it would have sounded weird a little while ago. I feel like um, I've been doing this enough time that I feel, feel comfortable with, with that. It's quite a strange word. It's cool. Let's go for it.
0: A, a bit big part of these conversations that I want to have are about that kind of self-reflection and seeing yourself as that. Because ultimately, you, you know, you've know, you clearly done a fucking good job already. You, know, you want to continue doing that, right? And continue doing it on a, on a more progressive level. So I suppose that maybe comes with the territory
1: thanks that's very nice thing uh, things uh for you to say. I feel like it's just all a fluke, and uh we're just uh <laughs> we're just like yeah. we're we're fake uh we're imposters uh, we don't deserve to be here and uh um, you still
0: got that you still got that imposter syndrome
1: yeah i think i i i mean any person who puts themselves out there for their job would be lying if they said they didn't i think um yeah. I think it just comes with the territory, you know. Is it, does it still feel vulnerable when you write something? Um, yeah. Or is definitely. that the wrong, wrong way to no, say No, no, definitely. Um, and it is that thing of trying to try, you know, like maybe, maybe I should be okay with being more vulnerable because um, a lot of my thought process is about trying to escape that, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do, I'm going to make a record that like, you can't judge it based on another kid's record because Mm -hmm. it's different. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, don't judge me. I'm just doing my thing. I think that, I think it would be more vulnerable of me to, to, to make, um, to try and top one of our records or to try and make, I don't know, the best. If I sat down and said, I'm going to write the best song I've ever written. Like I would feel vulnerable. Like I would feel, I would feel like, that would be the most most vulnerable thing i could i could do i think
0: i saw an interview on youtube where it was some kids interviewing you you were talking about a song that you wrote for one of the earlier records and that was the kind of turning point where you went from a kind of um well you know where, from how you saw yourself as a garage rock band into something more undefined
1: yeah i I'm, i know that interview that you're talking about um that <laughs> was um that was uh my dad's friend's son who's <laughs> such a Great. nice kid i used to teach him how to play guitar um brilliant because um that was that was my my primary part-time job actually at the time which is uh you know nice little uh little joining thing there Do, do my job thanks yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the song was head on pill um which was from float along feel your lungs i guess that was record number Three, third record, um, third, third album, um, so quite a way in then. Three, three albums, you know. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like what my logic was at the time because that interview was years ago now, um, so maybe I would say something different. Asked the same question. That was certainly a turning point, though. That song, um, it's because it was the first time. That we jammed on tape, um, and we allowed ourselves to jam on tape and to be a band like a live band on record, I suppose. Um, mm. the earlier recordings, are um, I, I don't know, I like, guess like how most people make records like you rehearse, you write, the words are ready when you start recording, the parts are kind of ready, you just like get in and you like write, I mean, so you re- record and you tape everything and you overdub everything and then mm. it's a song and then you put mm. 12 of them on the same disc and you got an album. Like that was kind of how we traditionally did things. And, and then, um yeah, that was the first time that we went into a recording uh, extraordinarily loose and something actually kind of half decent came out of it. And I think it just opened up Pandora's box about what music, uh, can, can be because that was a song that you couldn't rehearse it was, it was impossible to rehearse it just couldn't, it couldn't be made that way um, at the time going into the studio did it, did it just
0: feel like you were unprepared was there even hint of there might be something special so, come out of
1: that well the way, we, with the way we prepared was different and that was the kind of interesting thing to us so there was a handful of cues um, and that was the structure um and then, in between, it was kind of blank canvas um so that was the thing that we hadn't done before, and um we just we recorded quite a few takes of it, and then we just picked the best one um great, great which is a way we've worked a lot since then you know not 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 every record, but project to project there's there's quite a lot of that um and it was yeah it just it just opened up it just opened up a new thing, which was nice. And that process within the kind of context
0: of the jobs and the survival part of it, that process must take, you know, must be really, it must take a long time to do and, you know, to give yourself time to do that, you know, before uh, you were touring all the time or you were able to make it, uh, you know, a full-time thing, which I presume it is now. I mean, how, how do you go about giving, you know, giving yourself that time to breathe, that that time to figure yourselves out. I find that like a fascinating thing.
1: Um, I think the thing that you're referring to is something that we sort of just didn't do. Um, and I think it was part of the DNA of the band was to, um, like grow in front of everyone, like evolve, uh, evolve in front of everyone and make records as as we go and and kind of the Warts and all songwriting in the early stages was literally just the best we could do. Um yeah. and you know, learning on the job and releasing records as we went, even if we were thinking, geez, this is a bit amateur, but we like it, you know what I mean? Um Yeah, yeah. It helped that we listened to a lot of um like mid sixties garage rock, which was deliberately amateur. Uh that yeah. probably gave us a bit of <laughs> a bit of juice. Um it's so much personality that comes out in that stuff. Right. I still listen to a lot of that stuff a lot. But I think um that was it was important to us to just keep moving and to keep putting out records. Uh yeah. and just to keep doing the the best thing that we can is, is actually wrong. That's kind of wasn't the point. It's just to keep being creative um, and yeah, allowing that to happen in a well not not very big but a public sphere, like yeah, public sphere you know we weren't selling many records that's for sure, but you know like a public sphere it's like it helps to move on to the next thing if you put it out, you can't change it once it's physical record like you're done that's it move to the next thing let's go um,
0: in in a world exact and when you know and the internet you don't really know who's listening to those songs or records as well.
1: True. Um, Yeah. Um, I think that's, I mean, I don't know. Do people think about that? I I didn't think about that. That would probably make me feel weird.
0: Yeah. I completely understand. Cause well, you could drive yourself crazy. Can you with that stuff?
1: Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think we were, uh, I think we were, definitely then still now but in a slightly different way just completely doing it for ourselves it's mm. it was like going to school uh just just learning like figuring out music um right right listening to records and just having no fucking idea how they were made and yeah. and over the years you know sort of starting to like understand how things are constructed a little a little more or um yeah, it's just like we're just like a little we're just a little tiny blip, a little t- tiny artifact of of um 21st century music.
0: Do you kind of see different um like evolutions of the band, you know, when you when you look at those early early days and and to now? Can you kind of pinpoint different moments when when it changed, when your idea or the collective idea
1: changed? I think I can in retrospect I think it's a lot easier to do in in hindsight because certain songs like the one I was describing before jump out because Mm. they influenced many other songs that we wrote afterwards, or they helped us write other songs. Right. uh, Or they gave us the courage to, to take a a new risk or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, but yeah, kind of defining them, I think is it, it's it is pretty tricky um and the the closer like i'm sort of just i'm i'm looking up into like the the right corner of my room like in thought right now i'm like trying to pi- <laughs> i'm trying to picture um i'm trying to kind of like visualize the last 10 years and think about what those touchstones were but yeah the 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 earlier years were characterized by um being loud and obnoxious and deliberately amateur um mm. but trying to involve melody and groove as well um was there a tug of
0: war there between you know being so involved and interested and wanting to put, put your time wanting to put your time into making music and producing music was there a tug of war between that and um you know life stuff you know educate I know you went to uni but you know other other part-time jobs around there or or paying rent was was there a a friction between those
1: I I always put music first like from a pretty from basically from the time that I became actually interested in it which was you know maybe age 15 or something Mm. it just trumped everything I just it was it was it was the most important thing in my life. Nothing even came close. You know, for example, I couch surfed for seven years because I was too much of a tired ass to, to pay rent because it meant I would have to work more. <laughs> like, wow. And it would just mean I would, wouldn't be able to play music as much. You know what I mean? Seven um, years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's,
0: that's a long time, man. <laughs> it's, a
1: really, it's a really long time to lean on your mates as well yeah um you got some good friends yeah well, you know half of those are current members of Kink, is it, so you know go figure there great um but yeah, so that was that was kind of those those times those those yeah uni times and and stuff like that um
0: and was going to uni you know a way to have some free time as well as have some you know um loan money
1: I didn't like. I didn't think about it very hard, um, which sounds funny because I think I'm a fairly considered person now, but when I was 18, I definitely wasn't. <laughs> I yeah. think it just felt like some of my friends were getting a proper job right when they finished school. Some of my friends were going on some huge like holiday or something. Um, I didn't want to get a job because like I couldn't I didn't want to I couldn't fathom spending 8 hours a day on something I didn't love um I didn't want to uh, I couldn't go on holiday cuz I had no money <laughs> uh, which makes sense and so I sort of just felt like well I'm going to be a bit of a bum if I don't do anything so I'm going to go to uni so um I did a did a music degree which was which was honestly really fun um met lots of amazing people there which was which was cool. Um yeah. just got by. Uh my main job at the time was teaching guitar. Um, which I really, really loved actually. Uh and I I would do that maybe two, three nights a week. Um it's it's actually a pretty decent job as a uni student, to be honest. It worked it worked really well. And I just You go going, going to other people's houses? Uh mostly they would come to me. Um so I'd do it at my parents' house and or actually I worked at a um a music school as well where I would just I would roll in and teach guitar for <laughs> one, two nights a week. Um Great. to kids Great. there. Um
0: They must have loved was, you.
1: The kids. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was honestly really fun. That 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 interview that you watched, like that that kid was one of my guitar students. Brilliant, um, yeah. And you know, I think it it actually influenced uh, Giz in this kind of um, really important way because when you teach guitar, like you, a lot of the time you don't have a lot of influence over the lesson. Um, mm. At least not the way I taught guitar. Like I would uh, I would um, say okay, what do you want to learn today? And they would, you know, bring in CD at the time, which was usually a CD at the time. And they would play it and you just got to teach it. You just got to teach them something. And whatever their skill level is, I mean, I didn't do experts, so I wasn't good enough to teach experts or whatever, but I'd do beginner and intermediate guitar. and I would have mm-hmm. to teach them something from the song, but I think it really helped me to understand just classic songwriting because a lot of the time it was it was just classic it was classic songs. Like that's what people wanted to learn. Um so
0: What what kind of record what kind of albums would you take in? Well, I mean DC.
1: It, totally, yeah. It would be it would be it would be kids' choice as well, right? So it's like Brilliant, yeah. Um, you know, I taught adults too, but but primarily it's it's sort of thirteen to like seventeen age group. And you know, you gotta think what were thirteen to seventeen like your old kids listening to in like 2006. Like that's exactly what you think I was teaching um, class, you know, like sort of some guitar bands from that era, but also, yeah, just, I don't know, like, yeah, ACDC and like Leonard Skinner and stuff and, and Elvis and the Beatles and Rolling Stone. Um, so I, I honestly just like also just by proxy learned an extraordinarily, extraordinary amount of songs Um Right. Yeah, and see, and learning those structures. I often think about it. Honestly, I, I actually often miss. Um, I often miss just like sitting down with a song and playing along to it. I find it harder to find the time to do that these days. I used to do it a lot. Even when I finished teaching guitar, I would just like find. I mean, I would a, a record that I, a, a new record that I, I had found or something or I hadn't listened to much or at all. I would yeah. sit down with the guitar with it and just sort of like understand it. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Which was just a skill I had 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 to acquire um, teaching guitar.
0: I wonder if a lot of people who play instruments will sit down and end up playing something that they've just played a million times before. Because I wonder if sometimes getting that um, ambition to learn something new can be uh, quite hard to grasp sometimes.
1: Yeah. I wonder that. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I um, I've never like, I'm, I'm the worst jukebox, you know? Um, like if, if you're at a party or something like that and there's a guitar so much of the time it's like, Stu, come play us a song. Like you're a musician. Aren't you dude, come on. <laughs> it's like, man, I don't know any songs. Like I don't yeah. know how to play anything. I yeah. don't know any words. I just don't know. If you play it on, Like if you play it, I will like figure it out. And then like 15 minutes, I can play it for you, but I don't store any songs in here. Like I got other other (laughs) shit going on. I don't store.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you, so you were teaching, you know, teaching guitar. We, we pretty happy doing that was, was, was life kind of, kind of all right. You weren't freaking out too much.
1: Uh, I think I was like, um, too like hedonistically in my thing to freak. Um, I was just too in my, like, little, little like, yeah, in my little world. I, I taught guitar from maybe, I don't know, age, like, 16 to, like, 22, 23, maybe, something like that. Right, I taught, I taught right. for a, quite a long time. Um, playing a, gigs
0: alongside of that.
1: Yeah, like, well into Gizzard, well into Gizzard times. Um, playing a lot of gigs, playing heaps of gigs. Um it was always midweek. Like it was nights midweek, so it always almost always worked. It was almost never a clash, which was good. Um, Great. It was the only reason I, I quit really was when Giz had started touring around Australia and I just I started having to miss lessons all the time and I honestly just felt really bad about it because there were these kids who just really wanted to learn um, and I would just not teach them like week after week. And yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought, I, I got to tap out. Like you guys deserve better.
0: So there was an overlap there. I mean you won a you know you won a like an an, an air award like the year after twelve bar Bruce.
1: Yeah, and I definitely I, you would know, have make... been teaching guitar then.
0: Wow. Was that did you was that kind of a funny time where you were kind of splitting your time between between the two? And like, you know, was um, it when I asked that question, I mean like were you kind of being like, Fuck, this is this is funny. You know, bands going well. Um I guess you know what is that in between time, yeah, you know? but
1: like none of my students would have known about my band, like this I would just not i I would have been too embarrassing, like it just would have been honestly, it was pretty embarrassing, like I was like their dad, like I was like dad figure, you know <laughs> what I mean like I'm not yeah. cool to them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, that's funny, but yeah, as also was still couch surfing then, um all. All I really had was like a car, which I saved up and bought, uh, like one guitar, one guitar lead and one guitar amp. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like all I had and, and all of my shit was permanently in the back of my car. And that was- Did just... you have
0: any pressure? Do you get shit from your parents for that or, or friends?
1: My parents were sort of like nomadic hippie folk. They love it. Great. Brilliant. Um, I think it worked with their sort of like ideals of of life as well. So, I, yeah. I think I got it from them. Actually, I think I actually inherited that one from them.
0: Love that. Love that. Is is, is rent is rent kind of expensive there?
1: Rent's so fucking expensive in Melbourne. Um, I mean, yeah, I know. Like it is in so many places in the world. So, like, let's mm. not let's not complain um, right. on here. But um, rent yeah, rent, rent's so expensive. And like being a uni student and paying rent and trying to do anything else is like really hard. Um, so yeah, I think that was kind of my logic for the just getting by thing. Um, and just trying to find as much time as I could to, um, to write and, and just get involved in, in music and go to as many shows as possible and meet people and just be be busy in that because I knew it's what I wanted to do. I just had to like get a little bit better at it, I think.
0: And you can't really, you know, even if you found a a cheap place out in the sticks out of town, you know, I suppose, you know, well, was it, you tell me, was it in your kind of mentality to, you know, to, to be in town because, you know, there are some great venues there. There's, there's loads of music in Melbourne. Right. Was it important for you to be around that?
1: Well, I actually did do that. Um, When I first so okay, so I grew up um, outside of Melbourne. I grew up uh, in a, I grew up, I moved around several places. I lived in, if there are any Australian <laughs> listeners, I lived in Wangaratta, which is like a country town. Um, maybe it's a few, a couple of hours from Melbourne, a few hours from Melbourne. Um, yeah, and then I moved to Anglesea, which is a tiny little like surf village, I suppose. Um, and I went to school in Geelong and Geelong is kind of like the miniature Melbourne sister town that's like way more shit at like everything, basically. Um, I went to Geelong. It you was... went to Geelong? What did you go to Geelong yeah. for?
0: Uh, my band toured with the, with the Smith Street Band in 2015
1: ah. so or something. In 15. So you would have played the Nash in 15 probably, or the Bowen Club. Don't, oh,
0: I don't know. The, the, the latter sounds. The Bowen Club. Yeah. There, there were quite a lot of dates on that tour.
1: Very good. that's my hood. So that Fuck was where yeah. G- Gizzard kind of cut their teeth, was sort of just playing around Geelong and, our, nice. and all of our earlier bands as well. Um, then the Nash, which is now closed, sadly, the National Hotel, was like I would just go there so much. It was just like disturbing. Like I would, I would go there <laughs> I would go there like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night sometimes, um, just because there was always music there. And, um, and I had a, a part-time DJ, like I had a DJ set there because like, it was just something nice. to do, um, which was maybe a fortnight or something once a fortnight or once a month. Um, and yeah, the, the, um, very nice, uh, live, live sound man, there big L taught me how to mix. So I used to, I, I did some live shows mixing bands and stuff there too which was cool
0: and people people in the area were kind of responsive to music there was a vibe where people were you know music fans
1: well there was this weird thing that happened and i don't know if i've had enough hindsight yet even though this was over 10 years ago now to understand what happened but this weird thing happened at geelong where there was heaps of kids around our age and everyone was into like 60s garage rock And Mm. it sounds really strange to say, but everyone like there was there was like a hundred people like it's kinda pretty small town. Like there would have been like over a hundred kids in in bands and everyone was trying to like be the small faces and stuff. Like it was (laughs) it was real weird and and rad and I was definitely very much part of that, which was pretty cool and and very strange in hindsight, but um What years are we talking? We're talking like 2016 yeah sorry 2016 2006 to right. like 2012.
0: Nice so people were quite people were quite young getting into that stuff.
1: Yeah like I used to go to I used to go to the Nash when I was like 16 and play a show and like get really really drunk and and go home and no one ever like questioned how old I was (laughs) like somehow (laughs) great. I don't know how that worked but it just was it was like if you were in a band you would like enter in the back way and get on stage that way and then you were just kind of in and then (laughs) it was sweet somehow
0: (laughs) I definitely I'm trying to think back and I I don't know if I'm just you know putting another venue in my mind here but there was definitely like a sort of a pubish venue that we played that was that was like that. It was a, it was like a it was a party. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You yeah, you would have played either the Nash or the Bowen Club in, in 2015. 2015 yeah. is that what you said?
0: Yeah 2015 yeah.
1: Wow yeah yeah cool. Uh actually maybe the Nash was closed. I think he would have played the Bowen club. I reckon the Nash would have been closed by then. Anyway around that time. So when did you move to Melbourne then? So I moved to Melbourne um I moved to Melbourne when I started uni. Um oh Oh nine, oh nine, um, and I did just segueing back to something you said earlier, I did actually rent an ultra 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 cheap room, really far out of town, um mm. which was like I don't know eighty bucks a week or something. It was like the cheapest I could get anywhere. Um, but it was just too far away from anything. And I was like, what, what am I, what the fuck am I doing out here? Like, I just had to get in my car constantly and it was just really annoying. And it took me like an hour on the train to get to uni and shit. I was like, let's not do this anymore. I may as well just like, yeah, this is, this is, this is stupid. So I, I didn't last too long there. And then I started doing the couch surfing thing. And King Gizzard had started at that point. King Gizzard hadn't started yet, but, um, I, I guess like the early iterations of it had. Um, I was playing in a band called The Houses, which Lucas and Cavs um, were part of. Um, the King is it, guys. Lucas played in a band with Ambrose a- around this time. Um, I also played in another band with, with Cookie. Um, and I'd started going to uni and met um, Eric and Joey. So there was this kind of like thing happening around this time. We were all mates already. We just hadn't started a band yet. We were just doing our other different bands.
0: You, you've got your HQ, you know, you've you've got that stuff there. You know, you said earlier, that you've all got kind of different roles, jobs in the band. Is, is that something that just kind of evolved over time? I mean, at this point, you've got to be quite, you've got to be quite organized to to, to do what you're doing now, today.
1: Yeah, I think I've become a, A pretty organized dude. Um, I definitely didn't used to be, but I'm a pretty organized dude now. I'm kind of like, um, uh, I think over the years I've like discovered that I have OCD, which I mean, probably people are gonna laugh at because like it's like everyone, everyone I've said that to is like, oh yeah, of course you do, man. But like I, I'm, I'm either like exceptionally, ridiculously, um, specifically clean and tidy and. Um and particular about things, or I'm just like an absolute mess. Like I'm a slob. I'm like a disgusting pile. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I've got my things that I, I really do, obsess, um, over and and finesse and um, keep very very organized. Um, and fortunately, um, the band has <laughs> has has fallen into that category. Um, right. I mean, which, it has to, right? Which is good because it's my job. So, um, yeah, yeah.
0: When did it become your full-time job? Do you remember? Was there was there a moment?
1: Uh, not really. Um, maybe when I stopped teaching guitar. But it it was it was funny because it felt like I had to, like I didn't really have a choice. Like I was saying when, when I was teaching guitar, I honestly really liked it. Um, and the only reason I I stopped doing it was because I just wasn't around. Um, so maybe then, but in saying that it was like a significant drop in income. <laughs> like, I don't know. Do you, you know what I mean? So I'm yeah, not I'm sure. Um, I'm not sure that qualifies. You know, were there
0: any times where, you know, talking about that, you know, organizational thing, were, were, there, were there any moments where you were like, oh, fuck, I need to, I need to tighten this up. I need to buck up.
1: I don't know if I've like ever had enough time to think about that stuff. I think it's just sort of all fallen into place. Maybe like, yeah, maybe more recently, you know, um, just feeling like a little bit more of an adult um, and how, how like being an adult and I'm a parent now, like I have a four month old. And it's sort of like how how that interfaces with being a musician um, definitely feels, makes it feel more like a job. Um, I think it's a good thing, actually. Like, I think it's a good way to approach um, music because the battle for me is taking it seriously and treating it like a job and also feeling motivated and having fun with it. Because yeah, they, those two things fight each other as well. Like, if as soon as something is your job and you take it seriously, you like wanna run away and do the opposite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, completely get that. Yeah, right. So that's that's sort of um. I think you can only. I mean, for me, I'm like, I'm 30. I feel like I've I'm just mature enough to like approach something in my life with <laughs> with with to be able to um to be able to live with with sort of that um light and dark you know mhm mm-hmm. if i'm speaking not too metaphorically i'm sort of no. like get, getting lost in in what i'm saying
0: no go for it this is the, this is the place for it i mean i completely understand because you know playing you know from a very kind of basic level um playing music you know we uh, probably all grew up playing rock music as a subversive thing, you know, as a garage punk thing where we're like, nah, fuck that. We're going to do our own thing. And so when it becomes something that you kind of have to not define, but something that you have to kind of, you know, put parameters on, I suppose, or or organize in a way that makes sense that it's not going to fuck you up, (laughs) you know, that that it's going to, it's going to make sense for you in a, in a positive light. That must be a journey. That must be a lesson.
1: It is a journey, and it feels good to get to a place that I feel comfortable with. It, um, you know, for example, um, I would frequently, when I'm finishing a re- finishing a record, say I would I would get into a mindset often where the only way I could finish it was if I sat in front of my computer, or sometimes a guitar. Sometimes I'm over. over but usually I'm mixing. I'm usually on a computer, or I'm sometimes on a mix, mixing desk. If I'm lucky enough to be in a real studio. But I would just sit there until it was done, and I might like drink twenty cups of coffee and sit there for like forty eight hours straight. But I would sit there until it's done. Um, like I'm just kind of that person. I'm like I'm that annoying guy, like who has to operate like that, right? Um, but right. I think as I've gotten older, I've I've become more disciplined with it, um, where I can switch on and switch off a little a little easier. It's still hard to do. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that's the thing that you're kind of talking about that I've, I've maybe it's maybe a newer skill, I think.
0: What's the latest, you know, what was the latest story with, with LW, your, your new record is, did you find yourself owning that a, a bit more?
1: That was a, I mean, that was a weird one because, you know, we were in lockdown when we made that, um, there was so much time, mm. you know, that's, that's not how Gizzard usually operates. Um, usually we're on tour trying to finish things on the road. I'm mixing on the plane. Like we're, wow. it's just, it's like, you know, race to the finish line all the time. And um, you taught
0: yourself to mix?
1: Uh, yeah. 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 I didn't do that at uni or anything like that. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's why I record sense so shit. <laughs> 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 no, I've, so I've,
0: yeah. You're, you're completely self you know, you don't need an engineer, you don't need a mixer, you know, can you, you're completely self-sustainable as a band, are you?
1: Yeah, we've, we've worked with people over the years. Um, but for me, it's primarily been to like learn stuff off, um, or or just pick up skills or see how other people work or curiosity about a studio or something. Um, but yeah, we've made a, a lot of King Gizzard records have been made for literally zero that's like it literally wow. cost whatever the electricity bill is or whatever I don't know wow. like yeah a lot of our records have been made for for nothing
0: um it might make so much sense i mean you must have read loads of interviews with bands over the years getting fucked over by labels or getting fucked over by studio time is that something that's been in the back of your mind
1: yeah i think i think so um i've always been pretty cautious about about that stuff um and yeah, I guess it's the control freak element of me as well, where I just would prefer to be in the driver's seat of every process. Um I just I don't I don't know. I just I just like to be like that. Um it's a blessing and a curse.
0: I wonder if that goes hand in hand with how free your records can sound.
1: I mean, I'm drawn to loose records anyway. Um Right. So, yeah, maybe that maybe that helps. Like I'm not someone who will finesse like a hi-hat for like two days. I just, I just don't do that. Like I'm probably way more likely to record like 50 hi-hats and put them all on top of each other or something. You know, like, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. You know that's sort of more Brilliant. my process. Brilliant. Well, Stu, you
0: know, thank you so much for being up for this. You know, I thank oh, you yeah, for your course. time. It's kind of a long form thing. So no, I appreciate I that time, you know. I love the um,
1: introspection and I, you don't get this in interviews very much. It's been fun for me too.
0: Brilliant. Well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you look towards the future? I mean, I know what we said earlier that, you know, I've read a few times where you can't think about the next step, but what, what are the next steps today, you know, coming out of lockdown? Uh,
1: you know, we've started to- talking about shows, which feels uh, fairly insane, but um, mm, yeah. exciting as well. Um'm yeah. really excited to get back into that because i think the we we toured fairly heavily in 2019 um and i do think we the show changed in this really beautiful way for us, where it got looser and jammier and and freer and yeah. um it's like it was yeah it, we we um we were meant to do a hundred shows last year and we only did seven. Um, we fit seven in, in January and February last year, but, um, we, we canceled a lot of shows last year. So anyway, I'm really excited to do that again. Um, and just get back into that, that land. Uh, and then we're just, we're just still writing. We're just out here kind of like making records and, and, um, yeah, just kind of trying to keep busy, trying to keep motivated. Um, eventually we'll probably run out of things to say and then we'll disappear in a puff of smoke <laughs> i mean i'm trying to figure out how to be a dad so that's pretty fun yeah. um uh i think like dad and music musicing yeah. is um is like i'm full to bursting at the moment so that's cool
0: brilliant brilliant well Stu, thank you so much i'm really like it's fucking great to talk to you it's so yeah good. you too
1: man yeah great Great chat.
0: Fuck yeah. So that was Stu McKenzie from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard here on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Their 17th record, LW, is out now. It's an incredible listen. If you're listening to this, you already know that. Thank you for listening. 101parttimejobs.com to go check out the book that I'm releasing. That'd be awesome if you go and check that out. I'm really proud. I'm really happy to do that and bring this podcast as to a kind of physical <laughs> A physical form that can live on your coffee or toilet table. Cheers again for listening. Back later this week with an episode with Craig Finn from the Hold Steady. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side. This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series